Amen. It's the last message in this series that I've been calling Teach Us to Pray. And if you haven't been with us, we've been studying the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. We'll read that again in just a minute. And lots of us have been using this prayer in different ways. We've prayed through it at a certain time each day. We've had some prayer prompts come out by email and social media and some prayers from the history of the church and contemporary Christians. So it's been an adventure in prayer that I really sort of hate to see come to an end because it's something I haven't done. Look at this prayer line by line over a period of several weeks throughout my ministry, so it's been good for me, and it's been a blessing to my prayer life, and I hope it has for you too. In fact, there's a couple things that I think have, ho- have happened in this time, I hope that's happened for you. The first is that I hope through the process of this series, you've learned something. I hope you've learned something about prayer or you've learned something about the nature of this God that we pray to. I hope you've learned something about Jesus that taught us this prayer. Through this series, I hope that you've learned something that has deepened your prayer life. But I also hope that you've done something new, something different. Maybe you've never done before. Like maybe you haven't said, you know what, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer every day for six weeks. And that'll continue on through this week, through Saturday. So I hope maybe you've done that or you've used the Lord's Prayer as a model for you or you've prayed prayers from other people. And something in that has sparked something within you that's deepened your prayer life and helped you to grow and maybe something that you can take forward as this series comes to an end this Sunday and then the the process of the series through the end of the week. We'll begin a new series next Sunday where we're thinking about the final days of Jesus' life and that will lead us into the Easter season. I'm excited about that, but I do hate to see this one come to a close. But as we get started this morning, let me ask you a question. What's important to you? I mean, what what really matters to you? If we each had to make a list of the things that matter to us, my guess is there would be a lot of commonalities, right? There'd be some things that most of us would list, maybe in varying order, but some things that would show up on lots of lists, and then maybe you'd have some different things from other people. But my guess is something like family would show up on a lot of lists, right? Depending on where we are in life, maybe it's your siblings or your parents or grandparents, Maybe it's your spouse that you've chosen to to be your partner in all of life. That person really matters to you. Or your kids that you invest in, you've given so much to and would really give virtually anything you have. Your kids matter. Or maybe you're at that point where it's grandkids and this is a whole new experience and you're loving it. And man, they are so special to you that you would give anything for them. But family is really important to us. It matters. Maybe it's your work. Whether you're employed or you're past employment and still working in some capacity as a volunteer, what you do matters to you. It defines something about who you are. And you want to do it really well and maybe advance in your work. So you put a lot of time, a lot of energy. You've learned a lot. You want to learn a lot more. And so your work really is important to you. Maybe it's our country. Right? I mean, we're here today, we can worship freely, we enjoy lots of freedoms, lots of safety and security that really people throughout the history of the world have never experienced. And you're thankful for that, and it matters to you. Or maybe if we're really honest, we have to say that one thing that matters to us is our stuff, right? I mean, like we spend our lives collecting all this stuff, maybe a a lot of one thing that you've collected or lots of different things, and we create storage systems because we want to keep it safe. Our stuff 
matters to us. Okay, lots of different things that we might put on that list, including church. I mean, you're here today. Something about this day said, I need to be in church. Maybe for the first time, maybe you've done this your whole life, but you've chosen to make this a priority today, and your relationship with God matters to you. You know, most of the time we can take a look at the way we spend our money and we spend our time, two of our most important resources, and they will tell us something about what matters to us. So if you looked in your checkbook or you looked at your calendar, it would say, these are the things that are really important to me because I've invested what matters to me in them. Now, here's the thing. One of the things that scripture does for us is challenge that list. Sometimes when we read scripture, really study scripture, we find that it speaks to us in maybe new, surprising, challenging ways and makes us rethink what is on my list of stuff that matters the most. And do I have it in the right order? Are things in the right proportion? Or am I just sort of coasting along and whatever comes my way, I'll do? And maybe we don't really like it when scripture challenges us in this way because it might force us to change. It might make us rethink what really does matter to us and say, you know what? And this is not as important as I thought it was. And this thing down here that I've been almost ignoring really should be way up at the top of my list. And, and I really haven't valued that. And the Lord's Prayer is one of those passages that I think if we study it like we have over the past few weeks, challenges us to rethink what really matters. And so today, one more time, at the end of this prayer, which I think speaks to this specifically, we're thinking about what really does matter. So let's hear this prayer one more time. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. This then, Jesus says, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, if you had your Bible open today, and maybe you do have a Bible open in front of you, or maybe you've got an app on your phone or your tablet you're looking at, or you've done that during this series, if you're looking at any of the newer translation, the modern translations, what you find is that last phrase... For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Was well, just not there, is it? And maybe you're wondering who stole the kingdom, power, and glory from your Bible, right? Because it seems like something we should say because we usually do in the Lord's Prayer with those words. But what you find in my Bible, which is the New International Version, is at the end of verse 13, after but deliver us from the evil one, is a little footnote, and I've got a picture of that from this Bible, and it takes you back down to the bottom, and it says, some late manuscripts say, from the evil one, and then, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So that phrase shows up in my Bible and most of the modern translations in a footnote. And we don't get a lot of explanation as to what that really means. Now, I've taught on this in a couple different settings, but, you know, if you're not keyed in on that, here's the thumbnail sketch of it. 
right? What we have as the, the, the copies of the Bible, the oldest ones we call manuscripts, they are really copies. So I don't have anything that I can show you that Matthew took from pen and put on paper. There's nothing that still exists. Everything in the ancient world was written on one of two things. Papyrus, which is just grass, leaves that are sort of pressed down, and you write on that, or animal skins called parchment that people wrote on. And you can imagine that not much of that survives 2,000 years. Lots of it's gone. And in fact, what we have are copies of all the New Testament books, copies of copies of copies. We don't have anything, no manuscript that dates back to the first century A.D., when the New Testament was written. So we're dependent on these copies. The oldest ones go back to the second century, and most of them are fragmentary. So we just have a piece of the Gospel of John, a piece of Philippians. And then as we move forward in history, then we get those whole books and finally put together in sort of Bible form in a book, okay? And when it says some late manuscripts have this, what it means is, the oldest ones that we have don't have these words in them. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So, did Jesus say that? Well, the truth is we're not sure. The oldest and what seems to be the most reliable of those manuscripts does not have it. It shows up, however, a little later. The second century, we have a book that's called the Didache, the teaching is what that means, the teaching of the apostles. And they quote the Lord's Prayer. It's in there. So how did it get in there? Well, remember, copies of copies of copies. So you got somebody either taking a manuscript and copying it right here to desk or someone like me standing up here reading and you're all copying. They took this very seriously, okay? Now these scribes, copyists, would copy scripture. They copied legal contracts, all that kind of stuff. But when they copied scripture, it was a big deal. They wanted to get it right, but you can imagine that when you're copying something, sometimes you make a mistake. Or sometimes you think, man, the last guy who copied, I think he left something out. So I better put it back in. And what seems to have happened was maybe Jesus said this and it got lost. Or what we find out is that almost every Jewish prayer from the first century had a doxology, an ending, a word of glory, a way to praise God at the end of a prayer. So virtually all first century Jewish prayers, and Jesus is Jewish, ended up with something like, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So if somebody ran across the Lord's Prayer and it didn't have that, they'd be like, something's missing here. A little bit like if we pray the Lord's Prayer now and leave that off, it feels like something's not there that should be there. So either Jesus said it or the very early church added it maybe as a response, sort of like that song we just sang, where the leader said the prayer and then the congregation responded with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So it's very ancient, very old, goes to the early life of the church. But what does it mean? What does it say to us 2,000 years later? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Here's what I know. In the first century, if you lived around the Mediterranean and somebody said the three words kingdom, 
power, glory, you thought of one thing, and most people would not have thought of Jesus. Rome. You would have thought of the empire. Because the kingdom, the kingdom in the Mediterranean was Rome. All the power belongs to Rome. The, the glory all went to the emperor who some considered to be a god. And so when you say kingdom, power, and glory, people were thinking about the power and glory of this great kingdom, Rome, this empire who had taken over so much of what was the known world of the day. And here comes Jesus talking about the kingdom and the power and the glory belonging to God. Here comes Jesus preaching the kingdom of God, a whole new way of dealing with each other and dealing with God. And this was controversial. This was counter to the culture, to what most people believed. See, Rome talked about, talked about empire, talked about being in control, talked about peace. We see the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. The emperor saying, we have peace like you've never seen peace before. Yeah, peace only if it comes from the top down. It's all in the interest of Rome and it oppresses anyone who tries to go a different way. And then Jesus came along and what did they call him? The prince of peace. It's a different kind of peace though, isn't it? It's not my way or the highway kind of peace. It's a peace that invites everyone into a relationship with God. It's a whole different way. And the one who seems like he's in control, right? We go back to the beginning of Luke. Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man, the richest man in the world, snaps his finger and he says, everybody in the empire is going to have to go back to their ancestral home and pay a tax. And by the way, I'm going to benefit from that tax. And everyone did. And this guy named Joseph, because Caesar snapped his fingers, has to get up take his pregnant fiance from Nazareth to Bethlehem, his ancestral home, and we think we know who's in charge, and we find out hundreds of years before the prophet said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Who's in charge? The real king is in charge. And Jesus came preaching this new kingdom, and he talked about his kingdom in Mark chapter 10. He says, this is what the kingdoms of the world are like. Jesus called them together in verse 42 and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Yeah, this is Roman Empire. Everyone knew what Jesus was talking about here. That's exactly the way it worked. If you're in charge, you're in charge and you make sure everyone knows it and they better follow. Not so with you, verse 43. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. <laughs> Nobody thought like that. Nobody worked their kingdom that way. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Jesus, that's not the way a kingdom works. That's not what we've seen happen. In Rome, the emperor is control, in, in, in control and everybody jumps when he says jump. And Jesus says, in my kingdom, it's about how we take care of one another. 
It's about how we serve others. It's about how we show the love that God has shown to us to other people. At the very end of the same gospel in which Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6, Matthew in chapter 28, at the very end of the book, we read these words. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not to Rome, to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, forever. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if we're talking about people who have position and power and wealth or we're talking about people who have nothing. It doesn't talk, matter whether we're talking about slave or free, men or women, Jews or Gentiles. Just go and make disciples. Nobody gets to come in because they're special. Nobody gets to come in because they have rank. Everyone is invited. It's a new kind of kingdom, Jesus is proclaiming. And this kingdom, power, and glory all belong to God. Jesus is teaching us a lesson. This is a kingdom prayer from beginning to end. And in this kingdom prayer, and really in any prayer, what we do is identify what matters most. And Jesus is saying what matters most is not Rome. It's not even you. It's the one to whom we give the kingdom and power and glory, and that's God. And so if we're saying in prayer that what matters most is God, what matters most is His work being done, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, how do we ensure that we're living a life that keeps that first and foremost? I think there's three things we can do. First, check your priorities. Now, what does matter? What does your money say? What does your time say? What does the way you, you interact with other people say about what really matters to you? If we check our priorities, what we find out is that there are some things that are just right. And there are probably some things that we need to adjust because if we're saying what matters most is God, then some of the things that I've decided are important probably won't be. And again, we don't really like that because we like it to be comfortable, to keep going in the direction we're going. We've set it up this way. We want it to be this way. And here comes God messing with it. And he does. And that takes us to the second thing, to recognize God's place. He's the king. He deserves the power and the glory. And so we recognize in prayer that he is king. We identify what matters most, and God matters most. So, God's will, God's plan is the plan for my life, even though I'd like to be in control because I like things going my way. We're reminded that we're involved in something else, something bigger, something better than just me. And then finally, make all of life worship. I mean, that's what this prayer is all about. It's a kingdom prayer that reminds us who is in control. And if God is in control, if he's what matters most, then all of my life needs to be about giving him glory. 
All of my life needs to be about what can I do to lift up the name of Jesus Christ in a relationship with God through him? And how can I look forward to when he returns to make all things right? You see, in this prayer, we are reminded that we're, we have the privilege of being part of something that is bigger than any of us. This prayer is about God's kingdom coming. It's not just about me getting what I want from God. Now, there are times when we're going to go to God and ask for something specific because it really matters in our lives, and that's appropriate, and it's good. But I think what we forget is, I'm part of something larger. I get to participate with God and what He wants done on this earth in His creation. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. God, you matter most. We know it's true whether we admit it or not, whether we identify it or not. You matter most. And so, God, guide our hearts and our minds in giving you the glory, you the power, and participating in your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.